0: You'll grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans this morning. Romans 10, verse 9, we're going to start out at. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scriptures say, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile; the same Lord is Lord of all, and richly, richly blesses those who are all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can we be? Uh, call, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can, they, uh, ca- how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But, a- but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. The voice has gone out into all the earth, and the words uh, to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. As Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands To a disobedient and obstinate people. Well, we've been going through uh, this part of Romans, chapters 9, 10, 11, where Paul is addressing his own people, and he kind of takes them the task. you know, it's like uh, the, the teacher with the student that all year long, I know we're at the beginning of the year, but uh, the teachers will understand this, you know, all year long have been, been the problem child in the class, you know, and, and they're sitting there going, all year I've been doing this for you. That's what Paul's saying, all year, you know, all this time, God has been holding his hands out to you as a people. He lays out the truth for Jews and Gentiles, showing us that God's, God is sovereign over all people. He can choose whoever he wants to choose. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He can choose whoever he wants to do. He chose the Jews to show, show the world his grace and his mercy. And, and God does not run the universe by committee, okay? There's no voting up there. What shall we do on this? He is in charge. So he can choose the Gentiles if he wants to, contrary to what the Jew, Jews have really been taught. They are, the, you know, Jews have been taught they are the only chosen people period. God chose them. But God also chose the Gentiles to be grafted in. It's a purpose that the preachers would go out from the Jews. They would go out from the Jews and go into the world and say, hey, come with us to worship the one true God and be an example to the world. He gave us this pattern. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us the temple. He gave us a way to worship. Everybody should be welcome. Instead, what did they do? Well, they built a temple, and then outside the temple, they put up a sign that said Gentiles not allowed. Well, how welcoming is that? God is like, "Uh, hmm, this isn't going to work, guys. This is not my intention. It is not like God said, well, fine. You rejected me, So therefore, I reject you, and I'll go out and I'll pick the Gentiles instead. We've talked about that. No, it's it's planned from the very beginning that the Jews would go out and graft people in, that they would be the example to the world that the world needed a savior, that all the Gentiles would be brought in also. He told Abraham he would bless all nations through him. And Israel really struggled with that. Uh, uh, the preachers were very happy to preach to Israel, you know, but not other ethnic communities. Uh, you know, we talk about prejudice and, and all that, especially with what was going on in the news yesterday and how terrible that was and so forth. But uh, but the Jews can be pretty prejudiced when it came to this. Jonah is a prime example of this. And we're going to go to Jonah, in fact. If you want to turn there, we're going to be in Jonah for a little bit, but, but it, you know, it, it's toward the, ends of the old, uh, end of the Old Testament. Like it's, it's like a four-chapter book, so it's only a couple of pages. And a lot of people know the different parts of the story, and we've covered uh, the whole story. But if you haven't studied it, you may not get the whole point of the book. You may think it's about a guy getting thrown off a boat and goes into a well, and, you know, we teach the fish story in, uh, you know, in elementary and, and the little kids and, you know, all those wonderful, cute well pictures. And I'm sure that Jonah did not think it was wonderful and cute as he went through that. We're just going to touch on it today. But it, read in it, it read its you know, entirety, it, it's, it makes a very clear point. Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of uh, Amity, or Amitai, however you want to say it. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed toward Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. uh, For that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So you have God telling uh, this man. I want you to go to this non-Jewish city and preach against them. God wanted him to to share God's grace to them. They were a wicked people. But the prophet was very unwilling to do that. The prophet, in fact, he goes down to to this port. I don't have my monitor, so I'm going to… Lisa, it's not clicked on, so I'm not sure. There we go. Um this is a picture of the port of Joppa. When we went there to Israel, you know, I'd love to do another trip. If people are willing, uh, let's get a small group and, and let's connect with another group and let's go. I mean, uh, Israel is just a, a, a wonderful place. It gives you a better understanding of the Word of God. Uh, when you start talking about the Sea of Galilee, you, you, you picture it in your head if you've been there and so forth. But this is the actual uh, city. This is the port that he would have sailed from. And, and he goes in the exact opposite direction that God wanted him to. To, to go, And you probably heard the story before. So you know what happens. Uh, verse 4 says, And the Lord sent a, sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea, the light, in the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell asleep in a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up from there and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. So that you or that we will not perish. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and a lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you from? Or what people are you from? Uh, And Jonah basically says, I'm at fault. God got mad at me. I didn't do what he wanted me to do. Throw me overboard. Well, at first, they say no. They're like, no, no, we can't do that to you. Eventually, they all agreed, okay, let's throw them overboard. And they threw them overboard, okay? And God prepared a great fish to come up and, and swallow him, and he's there for three days and three nights. And in chapter 2, verse 10, after Jonah cries out to God, God talks to the fish. And I'm sorry, but I cannot get it out of my head. I'm thinking the whole well voice, like Dory, you know, the, I, you know, with my kids in the movie. Hey, well. Okay, anyway. So, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just can't. Yeah, it says here in verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And this is a great junior high boy story. You get to this point, the junior high kids, they just perk right up, you know. It's a good way to get them into, into Scripture, you know, and keep them away from, if you're trying to teach them the Word of God, keep them away from Song of Solomon and bring them to Jonah, okay? Um, if you've read, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, those that have laughed. Okay, Jonah 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give you. Hey, Jonah, now that your skin's all bleached out, your hair is fallen out, you don't look great, now you need to go and do what I ask you to do. Jonah obeyed, verse, uh, verse 3, the, the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began you know, by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So Jonah's looking to, to give God's grace out here, and this is what God wants. But, but what is he doing, really? He's preaching a message of destruction. Not a message of grace, not a message of mercy. He's basically going, hey, guys, in 40 days, you're just going to be destroyed. He didn't say, hey, repent, come back to the Lord. He just says, you're going to be destroyed. But they, on their own, repented. I mean, apparently everyone, even the king, they turned from their evil ways. They, they, you know, God sees this and recognizes their efforts, and he relented from the disaster. So you think that Jonah would be happy. It says here, and verse 1, um, uh, uh, is it chapter 4, or three? Uh, chapter four, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow. Jonah does not want to fellowship with these people at all. Now, if you were here when we went through this book, you would understand why he hated these people. I'm not saying that it's a right to hate, but I'm saying you could understand the background. And we talked about hate a few weeks ago. God's hate and our hate are completely different. But a hundred years before this, these people from Nineveh had come in and attacked Israelites, Jonah's clan, Jonah's people, and took his relatives and, and killed many of them and stole many of them to become slaves. So you could understand a little bit from Jonah's point of view, he didn't like these people. They're wicked. They're the enemy. They, they don't uh, believe in God. And yet God says, hey, look, they turn from their wicked way. This this is a great thing. Verse 4, it says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone, on, uh, gone out and sat down at the uh, at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what, what would happen to the city. The Lord uh, God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to shade for, for, shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. I, I love this. God provided the worm, you know, um, which chewed the plant so it withered. When the, and we would blame that on Satan, wouldn't we? Can you believe what Satan did? And here God's sitting there going, no, I provided the worm here, you know. Um, which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry at this plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been been concerned about the plant, though you did not intend it. Or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for a great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and also as many animals? And this is how the book ends. This is a struggle for the Jews to reach out to anyone else other than Jews. Going to the Gentiles, oh man, that's not a good thought. And that's what, you know, the the Jonah story is very telling because that's a lot like how Israel felt uh, during the, the, you know, when Paul was writing to them and Paul's dealing this with the Jews. Peter even deals with this concerning a guy named Cornelius. Ironically, it's the same town of, of Joppa where Jonah took off from you know the whole clean and unclean what what can i eat because the jews had all these rules upon rules uh, about what they could eat and what they couldn't eat and you go there today and and uh, you go into we went to the um, the holocaust museum i mean just uh, i mean you want a gut riching experience go uh, go look and see what happened and stuff but it was interesting afterward we're in the cafeteria and we we're, we're eating and they had a line down the middle of the cafeteria and certain food you could not bring over that line because because milk and meat could not be, you know, you couldn't go get an ice cream cone and come over here and eat the, you know, I mean, they have the rules. And this is what Peter dealt with. And God said, come on, just, you can go eat with Cornelius. Don't worry about this stuff. And he's like, I can't eat with the Gentile. And the Lord's saying, come on, man, you got to get past this. I want you to go out and I want you to reach all people. So both Peter and Paul dealt with this issue, and it had to be very hard for them. Now, Paul is teaching his Jewish friends, and he says, I hate to irritate you, but God has the right to save the Gentiles as well. And this just adds more flame to the fire. He basically says, not only is God including the Gentiles, but just because you were born Jewish— it doesn't help you out either. You need to truly believe also. You need to accept Jesus also. You have to believe. In a sense, God doesn't have grandchildren. It's not like stuff's just handed down you know, an heirloom or something like that, you know, from generation to gen- generation. God only has children. You have to accept him. Just because your parents believed or your grandparents believed or, or the grandparents' grandparents believed— you still have to choose for yourself. Paul says to them Jews need the same salvation as Gentiles to be saved. Now, not like a plan for the Jews and a plan for the Gentiles, it wasn't separate. Everyone needs the Lord Jesus Christ. If they reject Jesus as their salvation, they reject the only plan. There is no backup plan. Not a bunch of ways to get to heaven. Jesus didn't come and say, I am one of many ways to get to the Father in heaven. No, he came and said, I am the only way. He is the only way. So Paul Paul is saying, the Jews have heard, they have understood, and they've rejected God. They rejected him. Really, they rejected the reality of the resurrection. He fit into the Old Testament prophecy, but they didn't fit what they thought he would be like. He, in other words, Jesus didn't present himself in the way that the Jews thought he should have. He was supposed to be the shining white, uh, you know, I mean, the white, uh, the, on the shining white horse, you know, being the, you know, the general coming in and, and just saving Israel from the evil Roman Empire. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm come to save the people from hell, not to save the Jews. From Rome. He didn't fit into their picture. You know, 200 pages, and we've talked about this, of the Torah. And they added 6,000 pages of regulations. And Jesus didn't fit into their 6,000 pages and what they had added. In fact, so, you know, what what happened is they, they didn't include the Gentiles, they rejected Jesus, and third, salvation to them was way too simple because it was available to everyone. You would think that this would make it easy for them. Confess, believe, and you have eternal life. But for them, that was too simple. Mercy was, was, that was not bought by works was worthless in their point of view. Paul says uh, to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, "...for it is, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not for or from yourselves. It is a gift of God." not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Jesus sends Paul with this message to the Romans. In, in, in chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Why is this so important? Because you will end up having to share and needing to share your faith. You share your faith in in multiple ways. You will share your faith verbally, and you will share your faith non-verbally. In other words, by your actions, your deeds, what people see. Someone might ask, what does it take to be saved? Simple answer. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart. They're saved. Saved from what? They're saved from the punishment of real sin. You see, we can't justify our sin. Only Jesus can't. He's the one that justifies our sin. There's nothing that we can do to justify that. There's no, you know, there's no amount of serving. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of anything that you can do to save yourself. Only Jesus can save. Christ is the justification of your mercy and grace. It's that simple. We come up and we co- try to complicate. How do, we, how do we bring somebody to Jesus and so forth? And, and the Roman road is, is great to know and different uh, techniques or different, you know, to show them through scripture and stuff. But reality, sometimes it complicates, not always, but sometimes it complicates what is very simple. Paul says here in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. The name means authority. Everything he has done, it represents everything. Anyone who calls on his name, it doesn't matter what they've done in this life. It doesn't matter what they've done to their family. It doesn't matter what they've done to their friends. It doesn't matter what they've done to strangers. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. It's that simple. Anyone who reaches up to God, we'll find that God is reaching down to them. Anyone depending on God's work for salvation will be saved. See, sins are a big deal. We get caught up in sin, and we think that that prevents us from going back to God. You know, uh, basically, what happens a lot of times, God allows us to get into sin to remind us how bad the world is because God wants us to turn around and do what? Come back to Him. We get in the middle of a mess and we go, well, I can't solve this. And God says, Well, come back to me and I'll help you through this. Sometimes it's an easy fix. Sometimes we have to deal with the consequences. It's a long uh, drawn out thing, but God will get us through it. Verse 13, Paul actually quotes the Old Testament. This time it's in uh, Joel 232. Everyone who calls, who is everyone? Jew and Gentile. This does not go over well with the Jewish audience. Remember, he's writing to the Jews at this point, dealing with his Jewish friends. This does not go over well with him. Now, something else is uh, happening here that Jewish audience would would really pick up on. Uh, Paul just equated Jesus with the Old Testament Yahweh, in other words, God. A Jewish person would say, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that whoever calls upon Jesus' name will be saved And Paul says, yeah, that's right. Paul is saying that Jesus is Lord. So Paul is saying, get to the place where you say Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved. Now, we've gone over what Lord means. It means boss, owner, master, person in charge. It's actually very exciting when we do this, and we allow him to call the shots. Because God is really good at calling the shots. He created the whole universe— He knows us. He created us. We say, Lord, here I am, and you're in charge. And the Lord loves to hear that. Not because the Lord has control issues, okay? He's not human, okay? We have control issues. God doesn't. But now he can do something with us. It's like when you're a coach of a team, and a kid shows up and says, can I sign up for your team You've seen this kid. You've seen the ability that this kid has, and and you're happy because, I mean, you've seen the success that this child has had on the field, and you're like, yeah, man, I can take what he has, and I can mold him. I can make him into a great player. See, submitting to salvation is freeing and electrifying, and it feels great when we allow Jesus to be in charge and direct us. Verse 14 it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? In other words, someone has to tell them about Jesus. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Isaiah said this. Nahum said this. And now Paul says this. Paul says... You've got some beautiful feet. Now, some of us think, I looked at my feet the other day. They're not so beautiful. You know, ever since I got back from uh, vacation in Hawaii, I've been kind of wearing my flip flops through the the heat of summer, okay? Uh, I, now, I probably won't carry that too far into the fall, but we'll see. But but it's not like I look at my feet and go, well, I need to show off my feet. I mean, they're so beautiful. Look, look at these feet. I mean, they're awesome. It's not, that's not what he's saying here, okay? The word beautiful means blooming in the right season. So here it means you're blossoming right now and your feet will take you to those who need to hear the gospel. Isaiah, Nahum, and Paul all say it's great when someone figures this out. It is awesome when somebody figures this out. When they get it, I need to believe in my heart, I need to confess it with my mouth, and I, I do good works with my hands out of this confession, and my feet are supposed to go out and share the gospel of peace to this world that desperately needs it. So when we start maturing, we start to ask the question, how is someone supposed to hear the gospel? How is my friend supposed to hear the gospel? How is my friend at work supposed to hear the gospel? How is my, you know, my uh, uh, classmate, how are they supposed to hear the gospel? Now, I was kind of proud a a couple of, or a week and a half ago when Brandon went to school, he got the assignment, bring three or four things and put in this bag that, that represents you. And he decided to do it through pictures. And we didn't manipulate this or anything, but he wanted a picture of him with his stuffed dog and his Bible to put in that. And I thought, that is great. Here, you know, he's not beating it over somebody's head or whatever, but he's saying, this represents who I am. It's a part of who he is. That's what we need to do. How are people around us supposed to hear the word of God if we hide it? Hmm. We need to be more bold. It is our time to bloom. We need to get over there and tell them we need to share Jesus. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us to put the words on our lips, to put the burden in our heart, and to share our faith. And it's not to keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to share it. Now, it's good news, and it needs to have the tone of good news. I mean, this is great news. This is going to heaven type of good news, right? I mean, we need to be a little more joyful in this to say my life is good right now and let me tell you why my life is uh, good because it's the good news. Let me tell you about it. Do you remember the shepherds in the field? Well, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men for unto us today a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. You see, it was good news. It wasn't something like, oh, I got to go do this. I need to tell them about Jesus. We need to go out there with some more faith. And it needs to sound like good, good news. Not like the, you know, the guy on the corner ready to beat you up with a Bible, you know. Repent, you're going to hell. Okay, in some instances, that's appropriate to say that, you know, uh, whatever. But most of the time, it needs to be with grace, with mercy, with a tone of great news to present the Lord to people. We don't condemn. Jesus came to save. He came to solve our issues, our problems when we follow him. This is what the Apostle Paul was trying to do everywhere he went. Verse 19, he says, Again, I ask, did not, is, uh, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make them envious of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. It's interesting. Paul is kind of sounding like this. It's kind of a weird concept, but this is what Paul is basically saying. God is out there flirting with the Gentiles in order to make you Jews jealous. Sounds kind of weird, right? But that's what he's trying to say here. Did you notice he called the Gentiles people of no understanding? He's basically saying the Gentiles, uh, they haven't grown up with all this stuff. They don't know the temple. They don't know the laws. They don't know the history. They don't know any of that. They're kind of dull. Okay, we don't have much understanding. And he's right. We don't have the same background as the Jews. God saves us. So the Jews will see God's work in us also, <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting. We get to come right in and start worshiping. We get to go to the source and confess our sins straight to straight to Jesus. We're free. We don't have any of these rituals that we have to to do. We can just show right up and do that. And this just drove the Jews crazy. They had Yom Kippur, uh, you know once a year we get that every day we get our sins forgiven every our mercies are new every morning and he's saying the jews need to understand this you don't have to go down to the temple we get atonement every day that covers our sins and they only got it once a year god said i'm doing this to make them envious so they would come back to me See, we're sure we're going to to heaven when we die because, you know, it's not about works, praise the Lord. In order for the world to be jealous of our certainty, we need to be open about our faith in this world. So they ask, well, why are you so unshakable? Why don't you worry as much as I would? You know, when Lisa was pregnant with Brandon, I mean, there was many people with the the fibroids and what was going on, and, you know, and our our doctor just, she was amazed that we weren't more worried about it. We're like, well, you, you, our doctor was very capable. You you seem like you're capable, and, and we're just trusting the Lord in all this. We were just, we were happy as can be, and people could not understand. We rely on the Lord. We have to be open about our faith. You have no idea what will happen if you do. Paul ends the chapter like this. Verse 20, it says, And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. When God sent Paul to the Gentiles, they were not even seeking a Savior. Most Gentiles had multiple gods already. And, and Paul comes along and says, start worshiping this unknown God and throw all your other gods away. Come on, c- come to the one true God, because they're worshiping everything but the real God. They had, you know, I mean, they had earth gods, they had animal gods, weather gods, sex gods. and In Athens, Paul even found the, uh, you know, the shrine to the unknown God, and Paul says, let me tell you about that unknown God. He is God of all the gods. I mean, think about it. At least the Jews were seeking the one God. The Gentiles weren't. Verse 21, it says, But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I think about Christ on the cross at this point. Two others were hanging there with him. All day long one mocked him. Well, come on, save yourself. Get off the cross, save us all all which is kind of interesting because he was dying also. I I don't get that. That's the Jewish people. And the other guy who wasn't even looking for a Savior, wasn't even looking for Christ, he says, remember me. And that's the Gentiles. And Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise today. You didn't have to do all the rituals. All you had to do is believe. He never studied the Torah. He never been righteous until he was cleansed on the cross when he recognized Christ. And for the modern Christian, (gasps) he wasn't even baptized. Oh, my heavens. We should be going out into this world as preachers. And I hope that what we're doing is, is we're learning through the book of Romans is helping us to get to the point where we can say, I can lead someone to Christ. Because how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach. Do you want your feet to be beautiful? I'm not talking about your physical feet. I'm talking about your spiritual feet. Do you want to bloom? Now, we all have a season, okay? And some of us have taken the season of uh, of setting down and resting a little too literal and a little too long. We need to get back up. We need to do a little water, a little fertilizing. Fertilizing, doesn't it smell so great? You know, those things that need to happen in our life so we can turn around and bloom in this world. Because you want your friends, you want your families, you want your co-workers. You want them to go to heaven, don't you? Well, who's going to do it if you don't? I mean, don't look at me. I don't know your co-worker. You know what I'm saying? It's not my responsibility. It's my responsibility to teach you so you can go out there and bloom. How beautiful are your feet when you go and preach the Word of God, when you go out there and represent Christ to this world who desperately needs it. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't we stand and uh, pray as the worship team comes and finishes us up for the day. Lord, I pray that we get beyond the just accepting Jesus as our Savior, that once we get to that point, that we say, now, what am I supposed to do with this? Not that I can do anything else that can save me. My works can't save me. My serving can't save me. But what do you want me to do as a result of your love in my life? And I pray that that takes us into our schools, into our jobs, into our neighbor's homes, to our coworkers, that they would see you in our lives. And they would say, I want some of that. They have joy that I can't understand. They're going through a hard time in life, yet look at them. I don't understand that. I want to know that. And allow the Holy Spirit to draw them into the kingdom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He give you the grace and mercy that you would go out and bloom in our society. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.